Late last year, the New York Times published an essay, Rudeness is on the Rise. You got a problem with that? <laughs> In it, Jennifer Finney Boylan laments the rising tide of rage and mean-spiritedness in our COVID-weary culture. How, she asks, do we respond to a world under stress, a culture in which the guardrails of so-called civility are gone? She continues, the evidence of stress is everywhere. In airports, then in the skies, you can find passengers angry about wearing masks, angry about inspection of firearms in their carry-ons, seemingly angry about, well, everything. Close to home, things aren't much better, and it comes from both sides of our ideologically divided society. As if to answer her question, Jesus tells us, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's, that's harder to hear some days than others. That's harder to hear some years than others. Jesus' words about turning the other cheek and giving up one's shirt along with one's coat might even sound disempowering or disheartening to people who already suffer at the hands of others. Indeed, in a tragic misappropriation of the gospel, those very words have been used to maintain the power and privilege of abusers and bullies for a long time. Ask the battered wife, the abused child, an anxious employee, and you will hear some rendition of this story. But that's not how it would have sounded to those who were gathered around Jesus out on that open plain. They would have seen that Jesus was playing with an edgy, even comical uh, reversal of roles, and by that a reversal of power. Jesus wasn't talking about some random street violence or even a fist fight. He was talking about a ritualized rebuke by a person ranked as superior to someone below him, as with a master to a servant or slave, a husband to a wife, a parent to a child, or a Roman to a Jew. It was a particularly demeaning rebuke staged to assert rank, privilege, and power. If one wanted to leverage power in that way, there were strict rules. There must be witnesses. The one being chastised could not be restrained. The one doing the striking must not use his left hand. It was reserved for unclean practices. Nor could he use his right fist or open palm, which was reserved for slugging one's own peers. To use it against an inferior would be to elevate them to one's own rank. Well, those rules meant that the person striking could only use the back of the right hand. You've got to try this to really understand it. <laughs> Here's my right cheek. 
raise and wave the back of your right hand as if to strike me. Go ahead. (laughs) Now I'll turn the other cheek. I'll offer my left one. Now remember, you may not use your left hand, nor your fist, or the flat of your right hand. Now go ahead, try it again. (laughs) You know, you look ridiculous. How'd that feel? If a servant were to do as Jesus suggests, the master would appear just as ridiculous. He He could neither strike again, nor could he walk away. In a moment of slapstick, sure to delight the crowd, Jesus shows how the heavy-handed oppressor is rendered powerless. He is shamed. He loses face before the witnesses. Likewise, the scenario with the coat. Many people own nothing more than the clothes they wore, and so when they required a loan to feed their family, to invest in their livelihood, or to pay off exorbitant taxes, their outer garment would be held as collateral. And this would leave them only a single layer of clothing. And keep in mind that underwear is a modern convention. So again, there are rules for this arrangement. No matter what the debt, a creditor was not permitted to keep the coat overnight. It had to be returned to use in the cool night air, even as it was taken again the following morning, and every day thereafter until the debt were paid. And there must be witnesses. Jesus proposes a strategy to undermine this degrading practice. When they ask for your outer layer of clothing, he tells them, give them the inner layer as well. Now the crowd likely roared with laughter at that scandalizing suggestion, for that would leave them utterly naked before the creditor. While we might imagine this is a humiliation, those listening to Jesus would have heard it differently. They knew it was more scandalous to look upon someone's nakedness than it was to be naked. You might remember that Noah's sons were punished for inadvertently stumbling upon Noah in his nakedness one morning. By removing one's inner robe as well as the outer one, the heartless lender would be the one most shamed and the unjust system itself exposed. Jesus is not, then, calling for passivity. Rather, he is charging us to find new ways to resist injustice. The details may have changed over the centuries, but assertions of power and privilege are still everyday rituals and cruel exploitation of the poor and powerless continues. Most of us gathered here on a Sunday morning rarely find ourselves in the role of victim. Indeed, we're more likely to be the one benefiting unintentionally from traditional power structures, and sometimes we are the very ones who need confronting. In imagining that flip-flopping of roles, however, that Jesus imagines to the crowd, we might imagine ourselves less the master or the servant than as the witness. Because that, after all, is most of the time what we are. Then, as now, witnesses have a peculiar power and are essential to the change Jesus is calling for. 
Without a witness, the shame of the oppressor would have been hidden. Without a witness, the servant who had been brave enough to turn the other cheek may have been beaten to death. Maybe we should try to imagine what the witnesses might feel like when they watch the servant or the child or the Jew turn the master's or father's or Roman's power back on themselves. How then, surprised or shocked or maybe most transformative with a gut-busting laugh, at the scene, did they then start to question the verities they had breathed as air? And then we might ask ourselves what we learn when we see the powerless among us respond with the equivalent of turning the other cheek, not to be submissive, but to use their position of powerlessness to expose and shame the powerful. As witnesses, we cannot hope to become part of the change without risking being changed ourselves. And in those moments, we may catch a glimpse of the sort of world that Jesus could already see and is calling us to envision, a world he described when he proclaimed the blessings and woes we heard in our gospel last week. These are the same people to whom Jesus declared, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. They will still expect to be treated unjustly by the world, he tells them. Yet they are now free to respond as those who are already shaped by their new identity as beloved children of God. They have already received the superabundance of God's mercy and love. When Jesus invites us to love, bless, pray, lend, do good, withhold judgment, extend mercy, and turn the other cheek, he is not making a list of onerous ethical demands. He is inviting us to experience the transformative power of God's liberating generosity and relentless love and to become witnesses of that fierce grace in the world. At the end of her essay, Boylan, a trans woman, remembers going out to dinner one night with her mom and receiving cruel treatment from their transphobic waiter. Boylan walks out feeling angry and sad, but her mother appears unfazed. When she asks why, her mother says, Oh, Jenny, you know he didn't mean it. Boylan almost snapped back, Of course he meant it. But then she realizes what her mom is saying. Mom wasn't really talking about the man as he stood before her. She was talking about a better version of him, a self he had not been able to become, but in whom she had not yet lost faith. He was not yet that man. But she felt, in receiving her gift of kindness and of grace, maybe he still had a shot. May we become, by the grace of God and through the witness of friends, enemies, and strangers, the persons we have been created to be.
And may we resist mightily any temptation to be less. Amen.